Greetings and welcome to the Pure Report. I'm your host, Rob Ludeman, and it is time to bring the orange. And before we get into our two guests today, a big happy new year out there to all the Pure Report listeners. We thank you for your support and we hope 22 has many great things in store and ahead. Well, we are jumping in today with a super fun topic and two great guests. One, Mr. Kevin Rickson, who has been on the program many, many times, so we don't need to do a huge intro there, but Kevo, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me on again. Happy New Year and uh, looking forward to it. Absolutely. And again, not to belittle your fifth or sixth appearance by the Covergreen, but we are absolutely thrilled to have Steve McDowell from More Insights joining. And Steve, I know you're just saying you're having a hard time getting clicking here in the new year, but beyond that, how's everything going for you out there? Everything is going great. And uh, I like Covergreen. If I come on five <laughs> times, I get a nickname. I like Kevergreen. I I think we just created that organically, you know, via many Slack chats, Kev, that mm-hmm. we've had over time. And because when we talked Evergreen around here at Pure, Kevin has been doing it for so long, which is one of the great reasons why we're having both of you on today to talk about democratizing storage, kind of things where legacy falls short. And of course, Evergreen is the heart of that. Before we dive in, Steve, I just want to make sure folks know all about you and your background. I know from sniffing your LinkedIn profile that uh, you've got a lot of great experience in the industry and then kind of jumped over to the analyst side, but you're also a fellow podcaster. You've got the data-centric podcast out there that looks like you push an episode out every month or so. So that's really exciting to have you on here. No pressure. But, yeah, no, um, we, we, we do the data-centric podcast every month. It, it's not storage focused. It focuses yeah. on kind of the broader world of the data center. Um, but yes, I am Steve McDowell, an industry analyst with more insights and strategy. And I do focus on uh, focus on data and storage and, and kind of all the, the stuff that navigates around that world. How'd you get into that? I mean, I, I looked at your experience and background and it's the largely, <laughs> yeah, tech there, there, and, you know, there, what there makes you go, ah, the, yeah. There was an ad in the classifieds. Do you love technology? Yeah, we're, we're scared. No, the young anybody under thirty-five doesn't know that we used to find jobs by looking in the newspapers, right? <laughs> well, you know, and if you're old enough to have done that, you know that you never really know how you got to where you are. But it started life as an engineer. Uh, yeah. I think my first job out of college was writing uh, kernel code for the original AIX. Very kind of quickly morphed into. Uh, data and clustering and high availability uh, and all the things that were in the early days of storage. Uh, well, not the early days, but kind of the, the, the mid years of storage. Um, but, you know, long story short, I'd love to play with technology. And when you're developing technology, you kind of bottle, you kind of take a narrow view of, of the world. Uh, being an analyst allows me to kind of play with everybody's toys and see all the false starts and be there kind of in the, in the early uh, early iterations of things that are truly disruptive. So, you know, how I got here is, is, a, is a longer story than we probably have time for. But, you know, as an analyst, you know, my job is, is to look at the things that, that everyone in kind of the space I cover, which is storage and data, uh, are doing and, and try to contextualize that so we, we can figure out where we're going and, and why. Yeah, it makes sense. And and it certainly is a beneficial thing to have a lot of experience, you know, both as an engineer and developing tech to recognize what makes, you know, what makes good tech. What are, what are the things about your job, about your role that, that, that get you excited? Like what is really cool about being an analyst? Besides I kind of what you just mentioned about being agnostic and looking at everything, but like, what's oh, the I'm, I'm, oh, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm not always agnostic, but uh <laughs> 
I think the best thing, right, is you get to peek behind the curtain and you get to yeah. see what everyone's doing. And sometimes you get to look at what they're doing and, and it's something that never comes to light. So you really get to watch, uh, uh, um, you know, how the sausage is made it across an industry and, and not just within a vendor, right? I've, I've certainly spent my time in the tech industry working for vendors, um, but watching how it's all kind of interrelated uh, and then, you know, my job is, is to work with, with, uh, you know, the players in this world and, and help keep them informed and, and contextualize what they're doing relative to maybe the broader landscape. Yeah. It's certainly a two way yeah. street. That's for yeah. sure. Right. You take yeah. and, and, and Steve, I'm just wondering with the making the sausage analogy, you know, are at some point you going to let us know who was making the really good, you know, Copa salami and who was making the head cheese. You know, I I'll, I'll tell you off mic. Sure. that's the podcast i'd pay for yeah here's here's the downside of being an analyst and i and i don't think this is a secret right i don't know who's going to write a check for me tomorrow so i'll be as honest as i can i'm not going to publicly shame anybody so if you want to talk about head cheese uh you know (laughs) we can do that you know, and at Kev, we were encouraged not to use, uh, at Sun, we were encouraged not to use the expression, you know, sausage making, because we make really great high-tech things. So, you know, it was always, you need to talk about how the airplane is made or something, you know, crazy like that. Either way, we, we get the picture. Uh, back to you, Mr. Rickson. What's going on in your world? Customer experience for Pure, a very dynamic place to be. Obviously, Evergreen, but there's so much more going on with Pure as a service that is exciting. And of course, you know, the services arm that, uh, that you look after, you are really the fulcrum, if you will, or, or kind of the hub of a lot of really fun stuff that we're doing at Pure. Yeah, there's uh, tons of stuff going on um, apart from Evergreen. Uh, a lot of movement on our professional services areas. You talked about trying to uh, help our perspective uh, customers and, and users of Pure to understand how different our you know, technical services and support are that's included within their Evergreen subscription um, and uh, lots of other you know, side projects. We have a new uh, net promoter score that's going to be announced uh, very shortly. Just finished up another round of uh, you know, all of that. And that's, that's a great internal mechanism for us to figure out how we are actually doing versus just guessing and hoping or basing it purely on sales, uh, all of which have been good indicators, but it's uh, at much more detailed level and you know something we're very proud of in the fact that um, we take it very seriously and, and have an audited score that's consistently you know two or three X what most of the other folks in the space do. And, and I think that's just a, a testament to not only the products, and our business practices, but how we stand with customers all the way through. Yeah. And and one of the things I think that is unique about pure, and I'll just throw this in there is, is an industry watcher is I think you're the only storage company that talks about your NPS score. And I think we all know the average is, uh, uh, you know, many degrees below where pure lands, but, uh, kudos that you keep that front and center. And, And Charlie likes to talk about that. I think every, every earnings call. Well, and it's something I think we're actually measured on. I mean, there's some some yeah. MBO and, and comp implications for everybody as a company. So when you when you showcase that at an exec level, everybody is on board and really making sure that we have that customer and that partner focus. Um, so, uh, Kev, thanks for bringing that up. And Kev, congrats! I think this is uh, you're part of the officially part of the five timers club. 
I, uh, awesome. Well, I, you know, one a year, that's all I ask. I do not know if I have budget for jackets, but uh, if I could get something cool like they do on SNL, I'll see what uh, what I can do with that. But congrats on five times. Always great to have you on. Let's turn to the matter at hand. I think we're gonna have some fun today because the title itself, Democratizing Storage, is, is somewhat provocative. Um, and I think everybody will see where we eventually navigate. But it's also fun because we get to do a little bit of a kind of a Sherman and Peabody, uh, one of my really fresh current cartoon references going back to Bullwinkle in the 70s and 80s. And we get to hop into our Wayback Machine and go back and look at the historical design of storage. And I can think of no better person to start that with than Steve, with your background and, and also, you know, with your nature. My age. Yeah. And I didn't say that. I usually use experience. <laughs> I always try to use experience and not try to be ageist, but uh, having lots of experience lets you go and take the background and really take a look right now at, you know, what is the evolution of storage architectural design? How did those things get started? And a lot of that starts with disk drives and the modernization of technology, but set the landscape for us. Like, it, it does. And, and, and I'll say that it started well before I was even born back in, uh, I want to say 52 or 53. I don't remember the exact year, right? IBM came up with the big spinning media and that was really yeah. the first disk drive. Um, when, when I look at the evolution of storage and when I look at, uh, uh, you know, how we got to where we are, storage evolved over three vectors, right? There, there was just the basic, you know, media, how I'm storing bits. And we went from these giant platters to these small platters to these really tiny platters. If you remember the first iPod had a little tiny spinning yeah. drive in it so uh, to, to today, right? Where, where, you know, storage is all about how fast can we make, you know, we're, we're largely working at the, at the speed of the bus right now, right? With, with solid state storage and, and flash driven. Um, so we have the storage media. Um, and then I think, what really disrupted how we use that storage media was the evolution of connectivity, right? Hmm. For decades, it was all direct attached storage DAS. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, late eighties into the nineties, we started playing with uh, uh, shared storage a little more. Uh, you know, I think we're all old enough to, to have nightmares about SCSI terminators and things like that. Right. But storage was still relatively dumb and we would connect it via, via these buses. Fiber channels started to change the game a little bit and that I could have storage on a network and SAN enabled, you know, all sorts of different use cases. And now, you know, it's all about, you know, global connectivity. It's, it's SAN, it's IP. My storage can be anywhere. Where it makes, you know, um, in, in my mind, it, it shifts the conversation a little bit from storage to data, right? Because it really yeah. then becomes about data architecture as much as it does storage. And then the third, uh, uh, the third kind of vector I think about with storage is uh, the feature set, right? We've gone, it's taken decades, we've gone from, uh, you know, I'm storing, I'm, I'm storing bytes on a, on a platter to, uh, you know, I'm doing snapshots, I'm doing snapshots to the cloud, uh, I'm doing synchronous replication, I'm doing data protection, I'm doing compression, dedupe, all of these things, right? So I think over the past 20 years, it's really been about how much feature set uh, can I deliver? And, you know, th there's been some, I think, and we're going to get into this discrimination about how those feature sets were distributed across the, the landscape of those consuming the storage arrays. Right. But, but ultimately, kind of a shift to more of a software-centric approach. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So if yeah. we get into the how we deliver that, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it, it's become, um, uh, you know, as, as compute capable. In the early days of storage, we, we had to hard code a lot of these features and functionalities into the hardware because the, the processing capabilities weren't there to keep up with the data rates that we wanted to achieve, right? So we've gone from very hard-coded solutions to maybe some ASIC-driven, uh, uh, you know, to now we 
most most storage arrays are powered by general purpose x86 processors uh, where we can do a lot right we can do a lot in software and i think that really changes the game in terms of uh you know how we deliver storage architecture to it right it gives me the ability to deliver something that's very flexible uh and, and not necessarily tied to a platform yeah, funny how those things like Moore's Law have yeah, still right. really held up over time. But also, <clears throat> I remember some discussions, you know, back at a prior role, you know, we were talking about moving electrons and, you know, physics, physics wins in the end, right? There's only so much that you can actually do with the hardware or, you know, you can only spin the platter so fast before things start to actually physically fly off. And so, you know, the advent of non-volatile, but also the focus on, on software itself and features that could be delivered were interesting. And jokingly, you know, in prior roles that I had, it was, it was really just about, how and where you're moving the bottleneck, right? We make some kind of improvement in compute or there'd be some improvement in networking. And the joke was, well, you're just shifting the bottleneck somewhere else. Um, but in a lot of cases, the bottleneck kind of gets bogged down in storage because we've done a lot yeah. in, in, you know, in compute networking. Kev? Um, I, well, I was just going to say, I think, unfortunately, storage has been that collection point for bottlenecks uh, in IT infrastructure, at least over the last 10 or 20 years. You know, I, I, I know you had... Um, we had talked earlier about the three-legged stool yeah. Um, yeah. and, you know, the idea of that, you know, compute and networking and to Steve's point, you know, those have pretty much figured themselves out with virtualization. You know, you can slap more uh, server nodes in and, and you've just upped all of your uh, compute capabilities, uh, very similar, you know, ways of upgrading and expansion within networking applications, you know, are, are, are fairly solid state in terms of, especially with the uh, as a service type consumption, um, you don't have to have huge outage windows most of the time, but not so on storage uh, where these, the legacy mindset of, well, um, we've not only to the, to the point about the feature sets that Steve was talking about, but just even the, architecture in terms of how upgrades are going to be done, um, you know, either systems need to be taken offline or performance is severely affected or the features that are needed just aren't available on that, you know, let's say mid-range versus enterprise type product that was purchased initially. And, you know, it just perpetuates the mindset, you know, as Steve was talking about that used to be there on the compute side, you know, we have these rigid definitions of uh, mainframe and mini and microcomputer. And I'll raise my hand, there's enough gray in my beard that the first, you know, um, systems that I demoed in my first job in the industry were on officially mini computers or micro versions of mini computers like Vaxes. And I shudder at the thought, you know, because that really seems to have been completely relegated to the past, except in storage where there's these artificial boundaries that have been created. And that just limits, it's not just a bottleneck. It, it, it puts a real throttle on any type of agility um, for an IT organization to respond quickly to any changes or, or you know, needed throughput, um, new workloads, anything along those lines. Yeah, well, and you've got creation of these these strata, right, if you will, or these classifications that you alluded to, right, is, is you know, why do you need to have an enterprise versus a mid-range versus an entry level, right? If the focus should be around software and features, then... Right why shouldn't you just have the same experience regardless of whether it's, you know, something that's low cost. And frankly, a lot of those designations are birthed out of part of what, what, you know, Steve, I think you, you talked about just the way the tech was developed. 
you know, if you want the highest availability, well, that's, that's going to be an enterprise thing and you got to pay for it. Okay. You don't need that mid range, but then there's ramifications for that. There's, there's, you know, not only trade-offs and features, but how do you staff that and how many different types, you know, you have an escalation of different types of platforms, which leads to complexity, but you know, Steve, why, why do we have all those classifications and what were the <laughs> Well, in, in the early days, it made sense, right? Yeah, when you're yeah. build, when you're building these features out of hardware, right? It costs a lot of money to develop, you know, some of these features in, in hardware, and, and those are your enterprise features that enterprises demand. Um, over time, and I, I think this is, yeah, you know, I, I struggle with this a little bit, and and you know, Kevin and I worked together. We did a webinar on exactly this topic about six months ago. Um, um, you know, I, I think when you look at the evolution of 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 the server world, right, is an analog. It, it's driven by need and it's driven by competition, right? The the mini computer into the micro into the world that we have today was driven by disruption. That, you know, uh, you know, Unix became open in the '90s. X86 became dominant, and that killed off all of these mini computer guys who were just, you know, it, it takes a long time to evolve technology. Uh, you know, if you look at it in the storage world, it's a very small pool of people that were playing back then. Uh, and a lot of these guys are still playing today, but you know, where's the motivation for them to change? They're making a lot of money on these high end arrays. And until a disruptor comes in, uh, there's really no motivation to go and change that. Mm -hmm. And when a disruptor comes in and you have to, to migrate what you're already selling into a new market, it starts to uncover issues. Um, you know, I've worked for a competitor of pure when, when you guys became big, um, and, and, you know, pure is a good example because you, you kind of, you weren't the first necessarily flash storage vendor, uh, but you made it mainstream and you made it, uh, uh, you made it part of the conversation and, and you forced pure forced every storage vendor to very quickly turn out a, a flash-based storage array, right? But what we saw, and we saw a lot of acquisitions during this time is that, you know, rotational latency can hide a lot of things in your code. Right? You got a yeah. disk yeah. spinning, uh, uh, you put flash on there and, and suddenly all of that is exposed. Um, right. So you, you have to build new systems. So I'm using a lot of words to say, you know, inertia is why we still have yeah. this today. Inertia I, and I'm chuckling because I was at a vendor uh, who was trying to do a re-architecture uh, in Flash versus just having, you know, a, a cache level and in, uh, in, a, in a hybrid setup and had to abandon the project because of that exact uh, mindset or that exact example that Steve just gave. And yeah, it's, it's, it's not easy. And of course the other, you know, magic sauce that we added in from the beginning of Pure was not just, okay, Flash is the technology on which we will build because that's the future. It was the modularity and, you know, was, uh, Steve was talking about the software driven. So all three of these, you know, unique uh, capabilities were available to us, stateless, um, you know, capabilities being software driven. Why not go for those? And that's made all the difference for pure customers because, you know, not only do they not have as many hardware limitations, uh, they can start with what they need and what might be considered a mid range style box today and grow into. Uh, what most people would consider an enterprise level array without having to rebuy, without having to go through any data migrations, all those kind of things because of the modularity of the architecture itself, the, you know, stateless um, software driven nature, all those, all those different choices that we made early on. And it, it's, 
you know, really that that's when I talk about evergreen, that's what I'm really talking about. Yeah. There's some great investment protection schemes and guarantees and stuff like that. But if we didn't have this architecture, um, it would be all for naught. And, and really who suffers from this distinction are the or IT administrators. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the stratification, uh, I don't want to say that the, the, the legacy vendors are keeping it there intentionally today to make more money on enterprise. I, I do believe that a lot of it is inertia. And when I talk to them and I do, right, I tell them exactly what I'm telling you. The world is changing. And if you look over the past, you know, eight to 10 years, all of the enablers are put into place for a very kind of software driven, uh, scalable experience, top to bottom, pure, or you're one of the ones that have jumped completely into this and said, I can leverage all of these enabling technologies and deliver a solution that matches anything, right? From entry level to, to enterprise. And, and certainly with your newest arrays, you're going up in the enterprise uh, even more. Um, but the, you know, it's a change, not just of technology, but a change of mindset for mm-hmm. the legacy vendors. Uh, it's a cultural issue as much as it is a technology one. But again, who's suffering are the, the IT buyers and the IT administrators uh, who are very quickly, I think, taking a look around and saying, wait a minute, you know, why, why am I still doing this? Yeah. As long yeah. as they, there's another way, right? I mean, that's, that's right. the, the key of what, what we got to do. And, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that, you know, both the, the software piece of it, but also it's not so simple as just plugging in, you know, Kevin, you can probably expand on this a little bit more, Kev, but it's not as, as simple as just saying, okay, non-volatile is a great technology. We're going to use flash and then taking off the shelf SSDs and plugging them in. We, you know, we have this discussion internally at lot about the nation, the nature of custom, you know, the, the, the benefits and of custom yeah. versus, off the shelf and sort of plugging SSDs in, but you're still kind of emulating a, a spinning disc kind of world. It, it's not the same without, you know, starting from scratch, Kev. Well, and that's the main point, the starting yeah. from scratch. So we had the benefit of starting from scratch. There were quite a few other vendors who did too. Sure, sure. They didn't, you know, they were so focused on the flash and how they could get the greatest performance out of flash. Not that our performance isn't great uh, by any means, but what good is performance if you can't, you know, to your point, Rob, staff it and manage it. If it yeah. takes 15 people to do it, if you can't upgrade it in place, you know, we have always um, made simplicity as our overriding um, culture and development and engineering goal in everything we've tried to provide our customers and our users. Um, we probably could have delivered, you know, to Steve's point, synchronous replication via software much earlier in our cycle, but we didn't want to have to deliver it with a 5,000 page manual. So, yeah, I mean, we really benefited from not only being able to architect for flash and for non-volatile, uh, you know, and, and pre-plum for things like NVMe early on. But, you know, really the change was if you can create an architecture where it's simple or certainly much simpler than a legacy platform that is saddled with, you know, 10 or 20 or 30 years worth of um, older technology or it was acquired technology that was kind of force fit in, you know, even if you've got a lot of software layer in there, that basic OS is is a beast at that point. And to your point, was designed for spinning disk. Yeah. You know, and you know, even if they've rewritten major segments of it, there's still a lot of that that is saddled with um, something that's you know 
anathema to not only agility, but especially that fluidity to be able to move from what people think of as mid-range performance uh, to enterprise level performance. And one other point I just want to make real quickly, because we didn't say it early on, when we're talking about mid-range versus enterprise, it is just that you know, architectural distinction. It has nothing to do with the size of the organization. You know, we see here at Pure, fully half of our quote unquote mid-range systems, like our, you know, Flash Array X50, X70, uh, they're purchased by very large enterprises. And we absolutely have smaller organizations that are consuming our X70 and X90 and our our new XL product. Um, So it's much more about, um, the workloads and the, the the type of things that you are needing to um, you know supply the storage for, but those aren't static. You know, no, no, your sleepy not. workload of today, you know, might be your bustling one tomorrow. Look at 2020. How many people had thought VDI was you know in the back of the closet? No one was ever going to use it anymore, and suddenly they had to spin up overnight. You know, thousands of uh, virtual desktops to re- uh, you know to empower remote workers. Right. Right. Well, or, or and, you know, yeah. Go ahead, I was going to say, and that's really, I think, where, where IT administrators and storage administrators are being stung, mm-hmm. right? Is that the workloads, and there's a lot, I mean, we could talk a lot about workloads too, right? The rise of AI and ML and Edge yeah. and, and the data <laughs> explosion, right? We've talked this to death, but, uh, you know, as they're scaling their experience, they're hitting a wall with these legacy vendors, uh, uh, legacy architectures, and I have to do a lift and shift. And, and if I want to move up to the next strata, uh, so, you know, solving that kind of scalability of experience problem, uh, you know, is very much, I think, you know, a, a software driven software enabled, uh, uh, problem space. Steve, who else is impacted downstream though, right? I mean, we're, we're focusing yeah. a lot on the IT admins and the storage admins, mm-hmm. and I get it, right? They're the, they're the feet on the street that have to deal with the forklift upgrade or the, you know, the incompatibility of the new, the new system, or you can't get there from here, but you, you talk to tons of organizations out there. What are the, what are the actual business problems that come from that? Besides the obvious things like, okay, there's an outage or whatever, but um, what, who are the other people that suffer? Like the application developers? The, the, yeah, I, I, there, it, it, it hits the entire organization, right? Mm-hmm. When, when you look at, uh, you know, if I have a disruptive migration, which is what we're talking about, right? Uh, what you're really doing is you're, is you're prioritizing what's largely a maintenance task uh, in the middle of whatever digital transformation you're undergoing as an organization, right? I have to make this trade-off and data migrations are risky, right? You're, you're, you start with scrubbing and cleaning data and it just uncovers, I mean, it's, it's not just about the, the, you know, moving data from one array to another, right? That's an opportunity that many organizations take to really look at their data and normalize their data and clean it, uh, and then move it. Um, you know, there, there are so many things that can go wrong. It's a risky, it's a, it's a risky exercise for an IT organization. Uh, and, and it's, it's, you know, not inexpensive, right. Uh, in terms of human capital cost, in terms of money, uh, in terms of, of service impact and, and, uh, you know, opportunity cost into what am I not doing that I could be with those same, uh, those same resources. Yeah. No, thanks. I wanted to get those, the, the extra data. I think a lot of people know mm-hmm. and, and are well aware of the, the impact to, you know, classic IT or storage admins sure. and it's frustrating, but there's, there's all those downstream or the, you know, the people that I, you know, when I stand at a booth at a, at a conference and it's not just a bunch of admins, it's, you know, I'm the database administrator or, you know, I develop right. the apps and, and they don't necessarily know always that storage is the culprit, right? It's just, yeah, there's this one time every quarter when, 
you know, I know I can't get any productive work done because I can't get to the data I need or I can't get the services or they're not. On. Well, yeah, I think we, we successfully trained uh, everyone in corporate America to treat data as a, as a utility, right? Yeah. I want to plug it in and I want my stream of bytes and I don't ever want it to go down. And if it's broken, I want it restored, you know, in 15 minutes. Right. So, you know, the kinds of things we're talking about disrupt that and it absolutely ripples down to business. Uh, and, and with everything online, whether it's commerce, whether it's edge, whether it's manufacturing, whatever, uh, you know, you mess with the bites, you mess with the business. That's it. Well, and, and even to your point, Rob, on DevOps, you know, I mean, yeah. why did the public cloud explode as quickly as it did? So many, you know, DevOps organizations saying, I just need to spin up a test space real quickly. Yeah. It's going to take me three weeks to get that from my own IT department. And it's not because they're lazy. It's because, you know, of the problems that we've been talking about with the legacy storage and just, you know, even provisioning can take, weeks sometimes. Um, and the backlog is huge, you know, and, and if you've got a system that's just designed to be, to be, you know, malleable and flexible and, and agile, um, then right. All the end users downstream, um, are just like, Hey, wow. You know, everything works great. You guys are doing a great job. And a lot of times the main thing that's changed is just the storage infrastructure underneath. Yeah. So no, we, I... we get, you know, it's a great job to make people feel like heroes. Yeah. Well, and also just, you know, there was a former coworker here at Pure who used to, you know, he looked after the kind of the Oracle solution space, but his line was, you know, we help people take storage for granted, right? Which, which kind right. of sounds like a negative, but it's really a, it's really a positive where it's, it's kind of, you don't have to worry about all these other classic things. <laughs> if end users know about your storage is probably a problem. Yes, yeah. You exactly. don't want them to know about the storage. I don't want to know. It, it's got to be like electricity or the internet or, you know, what have you, or now probably your electronic vehicle, right? It's got to be on, it's got to be working, but that's a good segue to, you know, kind of the solution. If we look at electronic vehicles, it's really, that's, it's software that just happened to have a car, you know, built around it. But right. um, what, you know, Steve, you've done a lot of uh, work in this area, partly on our behalf, but it just in general, but wh why is the software first piece so important to getting past this roadblock and this hurdle and just having kind of a unified architecture approach. It's, it's about scalability of experience, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think that translates um, to benefit IT in a couple of directions. One is you know, basic, simple stuff that we don't think about like training, right? Do I need yeah. to be an expert on three different storage platforms to do my job as a storage administrator? Um, you know, and the other is, is, is we kind of talked about already, which is, you know, scalability of experience when I'm ready to move up or even down, right. As my workload shift, uh, you know, how seamless is that? If I'm letting, if I'm letting my users take storage for granted, right. Which we, we just agreed is a good thing. Uh, you know, I don't want that to be hard for my staff if I'm, if I'm a CIO, right? So, you know, a software-driven approach gives you that tool that says, I don't really care what the hardware looks like, right? Whether whether I'm delivering some entry-level, you know, a, a petabyte of storage or I'm managing something that's spanning clouds and I've got cloud-native stuff running on top and I'm doing all of this fancy uh, uh, whatever, um, you know, a software-first approach gives me that ability to uh, scale that experience, regardless of the underlying hardware. Yeah. And we, I mean, Kev, we also can get rid of tiers there, right? Remember the whole, yeah. I mean, it relates to mid-range and enterprise, but the whole notion of tier. And I remember like the whole, you know, everything about tier zero a few years back, it's like, why, why do you need tiers? You just need data, right? I mean, that's, that's. Yeah. I mean, it, and there's always going to be some of that left over, like, you know, you've got some, 
you know, so a, a lot of times referred to as cheap and deep. Yeah, you know, non, or, non-prod, or non-prod, short, yeah. yeah, sure. But that you know, what you want is a a storage architecture that allows you to go between those all fairly seamlessly. And to Steve's point, allows you to apply. You know, it's not like you have to have a doctorate in whatever architecture you're implementing for that niche workload. Um, based on what that vendor is, is forcing you toward uh, versus having many different options. And I, you know, I think that's what we hear back from our customers the most is, you know, you let us uh, basically buy what we need today and grow into whatever our needs become tomorrow. Um, and, you know, that, that sounds like marketees, um, you know, just as much as Kevergreen does, I guess, but you know, it's, <laughs> I've heard it so, <laughs> start using as my, my handle on uh, corporate Twitter, but um, you know, it, I hear it all the time from pure users. Um, and it, when you look at the way the architecture is set up that you could start with, you know, what most people would consider an entry level array and nothing in it changes aside from how much capacity is, you know, directly attached to it and the controllers to take that all the way up to, you know, something that can have multiple petabytes of effective storage um, with much higher throughput um, for many different kinds of workloads and even data types. Um, that's real IT agility and, and fluidity that means that, you know, you, you can tackle whatever those storage needs are with one set of infrastructure. Um, and then, you know, there's real, even if you've got very specific needs and want to take a look at, you know, whether it's our flash array or flash blade or something along those lines, you know, it, it, it's all still very comparable in terms of the data services that are provided. And then, you know, you also want to make sure that those data services are provided on a subscription. Again, mm -hmm. why do people want to move toward public cloud? It's not just because of the the consumption model, I pay with it for a credit card or, you know, I don't have to have a massive capital purchase outlay in the beginning. It's because it's going to scale up and down and always, you know, if I want a feature, I just turn it on. I don't have to sit there and worry about, okay, now I've got to, where am I going to get the CapEx budget to buy this and how many users is it going to need and how many terabytes, you know, and all this kind of stuff. You know, that's the other value that uh, a lot of peer users see from Evergreen is that subscription nature to it. Um, yeah. it's, you know, it's not just some software bundled at the beginning. It's basically anything that ever is going to run on that array is going to be included with that subscription. Um, our synchronous replication solution, Active Cluster, fully one third of the arrays they're running it today, uh, you know, were purchased before it was even an offered feature. So, you know, we truly can just turn on features as they become available, you know, very similar with safe mode today, um, fully one half of the folks who are running safe mode today purchased it before purchased that array before we offered the safe mode, um, you know, uh, uh, immutable snapshots, ransomware remediation capabilities. And, you know, the list goes on and on. That's just not what people are used to within the storage environment. And that is a real good proof point as to why software is so important to it. Yeah, it's almost challenging, Kev, because there's actually so many good features in Purity that it's yeah. hard It's hard making people, well, you know, like what we're doing with safe mode right now. You know, people are going, ah, you know, ransomware protection, do you guys have that? And we just go, hey, there's this thing in Purity. It's included. It's in your array. Right. You just need to turn it on. 
right? And please oh, by see purestorage.com for more yeah, information. Yeah, please yeah, please see that for more information. <laughs> and by the way, there's this thing called Pure One that can actually give you a visual representation of your, you know, security or ransomware profile, which is kind of a cool thing. Um, I, I don't know, yeah. Steve, Steve, you want to expand on the, on the purity and the Pure One piece, just what, what you see there that provides an impact for, for the, the poor storage admins and IT admins you were calling out earlier? What, <laughs> sure. what do they realize? What are they happy about? What do they get excited about? Well, again, right. We want to make it easy for these guys. We don't want yeah. them thinking about, you know, configuring RAID and configuring snapshots. We just want this stuff to work. Right. And I think the beauty of pure one and, you know, some of your competitors have other predictive analytics uh, experiences. And I think they're all uh, very good. Right. I mean, they're, they're all um, amazing for it administrators because I want to know what's going to go wrong before it happens. Uh, and not just what what's going to go wrong, but I want to know that I'm going to run out of space. I'm going to want to know that I got, you know, some, uh, hot spots here and there and proactive support, I think is, is a lifesaver for all of these guys. Um, and I want that to scale across my entire environment. Right. And the only way to get there is again, we're back to this, this kind of software driven architecture, which scales from low end physical arrays all the way up through the cloud. Uh, and even as a service. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know that I would look at storage. It didn't have a pure one type of capability attached right. to it. Right? right. Because to me, that's part and partial, uh, you know, purity gives me, uh, you know, a, a window into a storage administration experience, but pure one really elevates that in terms of, you know, how I'm managing my infrastructure, wherever that infrastructure might scale. Uh, you alluded to this earlier, so I'm going to bring it back, but you talked about a new array, right. And expanding, um, Heaven forbid I should use the word enterprise since all we're trying to do is get away from those designations. But <laughs> Flash Array XL is is now out on the street. Where, where do you see that being an interesting fit? Like I'm 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 I have a former database background, so I look at that and I'm like, oh, that's like Oracle all day long, as well as other things. But um, oh yeah, and I, I think that that's that's my that's my big that's my big database uh, storage yeah. machine, right? Or if I'm yeah. building a data warehouse, maybe uh, it, it pushes. I'm a big fan of the XL, and I. And I uh, I think I'm pretty sure I did a column on Forbes about this. You can go read my thoughts online. Um, uh, but it, it pushes pure up into a space where you didn't play before. So again, if I'm a, a storage buyer, right, I, I, I can scale my experience even higher and I'm not hitting that wall that we, that we hit with the legacy things. And, you know, coming back to the tiering, you know, enterprise versus mid-range versus entry, you know, that's an outdated concept that yeah. I, I think needs to go away. Uh, you talked about tier zero data and things like that. I don't know that that goes away. I think there's still going to be storage tiering in terms of what technologies and maybe what SLAs attached to my features are, are serving each of those storage tiers. Yeah. Again, with, with kind of this scalable software-driven experience, uh, it's one experience no matter where I am and that's, and that's storage tier. Yeah, well, and then Kev, more and more, we're seeing a rapid adoption of the consumption experience, right? And that, I think that neuters the the nature of enterprise, you know, it's just, you know, the data needs to, and Steve talked about this earlier, Kev, right? It's just, you know, it's no longer about the storage, it's about the data and the availability of it. But but Kev, what are we, what are we seeing relative to, you know, pure as a service and the consumption models and sometimes the arguments get bogged down into budget stuff, right? CapEx right. versus OpEx, but it's really not that, right? It's, I mean, that's an aspect of it, but really I think what, what CIOs and VPs want to do is reduce their risk profile and, and, and optimize staffing. Can you expand on that? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the financial 
uh, side of things is, is always going to be there. There's going to be some organizations that are just more comfortable with, you know, we've got a CapEx strategy and we like owning our assets and sweating them over time, um, you know, and what Evergreen provides in that for those customers is, you know, an ownership experience that makes it feel a lot more like what people are thinking of when they think of public cloud or as a service, you know, where the upgrades, you know, we already talked about the software, um, the hardware upgrades are included, or it, you know, at a bare minimum, you get full trading credit um, toward upgraded controllers and trading in flash and different things. So, you know, those, those upgrades are basically taken care of for you. And then all the ease of use that we talked about, you know, it just, it, it's, it, it's all a more simple way to own um, your storage with pure as a service. What we do is then add on really a managed uh, services experience on top of it. And it can still reside within your own data center and that's an, another reason why some folks, you know, they, you know, corporate uh, initiative is go to the cloud, but then realize, okay, for regulation, regulatory reasons or others, they want to keep it on-prem um, or at least in a secure colo or something along those lines. Um, you know, that that's where peers of service comes in. And we, we do have, um, you know, with our cloud block store, a full purity uh, environment that can run on AWS and Azure and, and other public cloud uh, providers, but also within your own data centers, you know, have it be truly managed with service level agreements, you know, how much performance you're going to get, you know, or um, we make good until it does, or, you know, you get credits back, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, <clears throat> uptime, um, you know, all the different things that people would think of in terms of a, a service level agreement and, and a services based um, managed service versus just, okay, I'm going to have this kind of be like a lease. And so therefore it's going to show up as OPEX versus CAPEX in the budget. I mean, those are considerations for sure, but that the main driver is, you know, do I want to manage it myself, but make it the easiest way possible? Or do I want it managed for me? And again, that, that managed for me is the main reason that, and you can spin it up real quickly. I can, I can pay just based on what I use versus, you know, and again, it, it's, it's um, the expectations are, I probably need to over provision based on the experience with some of the legacy vendors, you know, and that feels painful. And then those workloads don't grow as fast. And uh-huh. so they bought more than they could ever use because it was difficult for them to upgrade or to, to size correctly. And, you know, so, so if you want to um, own it, uh, we, help you manage that more specifically, you know, both with our technology and, and the evergreen ownership program. But if you just want it, you know, completely spin it up, spin it down as you need, that's what pure, pure as a service helps you with. Yeah. Or heaven forbid under provision it, you don't want to be in that situation either. Ooh, that's no, not, never. Yeah. That's not a good one. Well, we are, we are running a little long here, which is okay. Cause it's a privilege to have both of you, but um, Steve, why, why don't you sum it up for us, you know, for anybody out there that, is, is sort of plagued with, you know, tech debt of legacy or going through some of the struggles, uh, recommendations from you for what they should look at. And again, I'm not asking for a huge pure plug here, although we, <laughs> we'd love for you to talk positively on our behalf, but just, you know, things to consider so, so and, when evaluating, right? Yeah. So I'll give pure a little plug. I think when I, when I look at the universe, and I'm not going to name competitors here, uh, I'll be polite, but when I look at the universe of storage providers, um, 
you know, you, you can rank it by market share. Or you can rank it by, by, you know, uh, IT delight, if you will, right. Yeah. How, how happy your storage administrators. And, and Kevin talked about his NPS store or NPS score at the, uh, at, at the top of the podcast. Uh, you know, IT guys love pure and they love it for a reason. You, you make it simple. And what's behind that simplicity is all of the things that we talked about. It's a very software driven approach. Uh, and with the XL, you're kind of reaching a little further into the enterprise. Uh, you know, you have the cloud story, you have the, uh, what we didn't touch on is, you know, storage is also evolving as, as workloads are evolving. It used to be a, you know, we've gone from bare metal OS to a, you know, a decade of it's all VMs. And now it's very much a cloud native world, right? And, and I look at some of the moves that, that Pure has made there around cloud native with Portworks and you're right there, right? You're right there evolving storage as IT workloads evolve. So, yeah, long way of bringing it back around to say my advice to an IT buyer is, you know, don't think, well, how about this? Uh, you don't know exactly where you're heading, right? So when you want to buy storage and, and I'd give the same advice for server and compute, uh, yeah, buy 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 into an architecture and look for an architecture that gives me that scalability of experience with kind of that predictive analytics piece uh, to help me manage my infrastructure, so that I don't have to think about my infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And we when we look at things like pure as a service and, and all of these consumption based models that other folks have, it's really about I don't want to have to think about that anymore, right? I just want an IT guy wants capabilities delivered to him, right? So I want a storage architecture that's going to feed into that desire. So I'll stop there. No, that's great. It's basically show me the data, right? I think if I have <laughs> show me the data, right? There's my jury. There's my '80s reference, Kev. Every podcast has some. Show me the data. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, uh, this has been been great, Jens. I I love the discussion and and that you had some some really good interaction. I think you bring out some good points and. We even got to go back a little bit historically and, and look at how we got from, from A to B. So it was a blast. Kev, anything that you want to plug, anything new and exciting that's coming out in the, uh, the Evergreen or the CX space that folks should go take a look at? No, I think you definitely watch the space, as I said, you know, and, and Steve just alluded to, uh, we'll, we'll have some more updates on our uh, updated NPS score real soon. But, uh, you know, I think the real push that, um, our, our, our users are seeing behind um, Evergreen these days is, you know, the fact that it really is a true subscription. And, you know, we, we offer this continuum between ownership and as a service, um, not as, you know, wholly distinct things, but really it's more like, you know, where it fits on a scale and um, can tailor to whatever our users are, uh, are, are needing at the time and, and even across different workloads. So um, you'll, you'll be seeing a lot more from us on that over the next few months. Yeah. And, and potentially we didn't even dig into there, but with things like Excel and just other initiatives and the way the architecture works, we didn't even really talk environmental and sustainability. So that's another, Absolutely. you know, kind of exciting area. And I think we've heard Charlie talk about that on, on some of the, you know, quarterly analyst calls. So, you know, that's one maybe for a future podcast episode that we can get you gents back on or some other folks. Um, Steve, closing with you, anything you want to plug, you know, for more, for more insights or just yourself or where folks can find you. I find you a good follow out there on the, on the old Twitters, but on, on, on Twitter, I'm, I'm SR underscore McDowell. Um, I don't have any events or anything like that to plug, okay. but I will say that, that uh, it's going to be a busy first half of the year in terms of storage announcements. I don't know what they're going to be yet, but my calendar is populated with pre-briefings. So, uh, you know, pay attention and, uh, uh, yeah. 
That's it. Awesome. Well, it is good to be busy and it's good to have announcements out there in the future and give Steve a follow to keep up with all those announcements over the next six months and just anything in general going on in the storage world. It was a blast, like I said, to have both of you on. I do appreciate the time. And for those of you out there listening, have a happy, happy new year. Thank you for listening and sending in your feedback. Please keep sending it in. You can reach us at pureport at purestorage.com. Calm, and we will keep the great guests like Steve and Kevin coming on to the program. With that, we will wrap for Pure Storage. Steve McDowell and Kevin Rickson, this is Rob Ludeman saying, don't look back, something might be gaining on you. Mm-hmm.